everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Um, I, uh, I, for those of you who are new, this is a question and answer based podcast where you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, send me a question about OCD or anxiety or or how to treat it or how to help a family member or how to how to deal with compulsions whatever questions you might have about any subtype of OCD uh, you can ask me a question over at fearcastpodcast.com and I will um I will likely put it up on a future episode. Um, you can also send me an audio question, which um, will uh, send your question up to the top of the list. You can send me an audio question over at Instagram. I'm Fearcast Podcast over there. Uh, you can also uh, send me a, a, a shared Google Doc or shared Google uh, uh, Drive. I mess this up every week. And um, uh, send me the link to that, and um, I will put that up on a, uh, the next uh, next recorded episode. So today, everybody, well, I, again, first, thank you all for joining me today and being so patient with my voice and being sick and things coming out late and me sounding weird. This has just been rough, and I appreciate uh, your patience and, uh, and understanding with it all. So for the, uh, today's episode, I was joined by Dr. Lauren Wadsworth. Uh, she is a is a psych- uh, excuse me a psychologist who uh, uh, her her and her her team are making some recommendations for some changes to be made to the treatment of sexual orientation OCD. So we we talked all about um, these new recommendations, some research that's coming out uh, in support of this, and um, and we, we branch off as well into discussing some uh, uh, some recommendations that she's making for uh, some adjustments to the treatment of kind of racist related or racially related um, obsessions that uh, that can sometimes occur with. Within, um, within OCD. So it, it was a really interesting conversation. I think it was, uh, and I think you'll find it uh, really interesting as well. So, before we jump into it, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Lauren. Wa- uh, excuse me, Dr. Lauren Wadsworth. Um, uh, Dr. Wadsworth is a, a board-certified psychologist. She's the clinical. Uh, she's the. Uh, excuse me. She's the founder and director of Genesee Valley Institute of Psychology. Additionally, she's a clinical fellow in psychiatry and senior advisor to the anti-racist justice and health equity team with uh, McLean Hospital and uh, uh, or McLean Har- uh, McLean Hospital, uh, which is uh, part of uh, Harvard's uh, medical school. So she has done a ton of research and um, I, additionally, uh, one of her articles or one of the articles that we talk about, uh, I'm going to link to the episode page at Fearcast Podcast. So if you'd like to download and read that, uh, that article, you can go over to the episode page at Fearcast Podcast. So without further ado, everybody, here is my Discussion with Dr. Lauren Wadsworth. All right, Dr. Lauren Wadsworth, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about um, SOOCD and the treatment, uh, uh, your team's treatment recommendations, and the the shift, uh, the the shift into a more justice oriented, more progressive view of. Uh, of treatment for this uh, subtype. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and for sharing this platform um, for this discussion. Absolutely. Well, so we, we were just briefly talking about, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I could... Uh, 
I'm, I'm so appreciative of your time. And um, but but um, I'm curious, and I think a lot of uh, listeners will be curious about um, what your recommendations are and where the in a sense problem was, and uh, with with the previous um, kind of previous and I'll say kind of tr- traditional treatment of quote HOCD and where the problem was within that and then kind of what wh- where the genesis of the start of the the change came from I am not on the top of my word game today what is happening Ugh, all right we're going to start name it from the start so where was the problem and then tell us about some of the shift in the recommendations that your team are making for HOCD or excuse me I'm already doing it SOOCD treatment Sure. Yeah. So the inspiration for the work that um, me and a few other researchers like Caitlin Pinciotti um, are doing is was it based in HOCD slash SOOCD. And now we're, we're also thinking about it across different sociocultural identities and how they interact with OCD. So that could be like the interaction of race or racism and OCD. So happy to talk about all of those things. But I'll start with your question, which was um, about the the, the um, inspiration for change of our verbiage. So historically, sexual orientation themed OCD was called um, homosexual OCD. That's probably because one of the most frequent fears that was reported in therapy um, around this subtype was the fear of being gay and not knowing it. Um, And so I think it makes sense why the, the term originated. And what we've learned, which I think is really cool and actually gets to more of the root of OCD, is that anyone can have sexual orientation themed OCD regardless of their sexual orientation. So gay men can have SOOCD that what if I'm straight and this whole time I thought I was gay or a queer woman could have sexual orientation OCD where, you know, I'm married to a woman and what if that's not the right relationship for me? What if I'm really going to be happy or meant to be with a cis man? Um, So it doesn't actually, it's not a fear of being gay, which I think was the original um, motivation for the term HOCD. Um, The issue about it as a fear of being gay is that um, it, it, underscores or accentuates a stigmatized belief that being gay is a bad thing much like folks have a fear of being a racist or saying racist things um, with OCD sometimes to say okay it's a fear of being gay is like a fear of, of becoming a bad thing right so it stigmatizes a sexual orientation by focusing on that element of the intrusive thoughts but if we look at sexual orientation themed OCD more um, holistically, if we really get at what is the core fear, we find that the fear is uncertainty of what would it mean if this whole time I thought I was X, but really I'm Y? Or how can I know for certain what my sexual orientation is? Or how do I know for certain if I'm with the right kind of partner? So it's not really about the effects of becoming gay, but rather the um, discomfort of the uncertainty of not knowing oneself. 
And that spans across all different sexual orientations um, and people with OCD. So it, that's why the term sexual orientation OCD theme um, was proposed so that it's a more comprehensive, inclusive term that also isn't further stigmatizing um, being gay or not being straight. Right. I, I think that 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 shift over into recognizing that the treatment it, it ought to be about what that core fear is, and it's you know it, it for for some I think they you know they're perhaps based in that or not perhaps based in that stereotype they can fear yeah well what if it is something they they view as they might view as bad, but is it mm-hmm. that. Is it the idea that they are that being gay is bad, or is it that I'm not being my my true authentic self? I think that does speak to more of a more of a pervasive, deeper concern that ought to be addressed. How? Um, yeah. oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say as an example, we hear so many people, so many straight people with um, a fear of being intrusive thoughts that they're gay and they don't know it. Say things like. I am totally fine with gay people. Right. Like I am, I will vote for gay marriage mm-hmm. any day of the week. I have no concerns if one of my kids is gay. Right. I love gay people, but I just don't want to be gay and not know it. Right. Or I'm afraid that I am gay and I, I'm not aware that I'm gay. So it's not, it's typically not the fear of being something that's stigmatized even, not even like a taboo theme in most cases. It's more of just that not knowing oneself question. Right. Oh man, I've I've heard that from so many clients where they yeah, they'll they'll say mm-hmm. they're almost blindsided by the fact that this this is their obsession. Why would I be exactly. concerned about this? Why would I be feeling fear about this and a lot of self-judgment and then and then you know, the subsequent rumination about well, am I actually homophobic? Am I against this? Mm-hmm. And or but again, I think I, I'm also hearing in my own explanation kind of a well, what if I don't really know who I am? What if right. I, what what if I'm actually this deep down homophobe? Mm-hmm. Terrifying, exactly. Terrifying. So. Where, what are some of the treatment recommendations that that you've that you've seen and would would suggest should be should be a shift? Because well, also let, let's start with what would a what is traditional treatment for HOCD mm-hmm. for HOCD tending to be, yeah. and then how would that shift if we're kind of taking it as a as more of a, a forward moving SOCD. Yeah. So the historically and the way I was trained in one of in some of the best um, institutions for OCD treatment are to create hierarchies that one would do something that either they seem gay or they could catch gayness mm-hmm. as almost like a term. So some examples might be um, I might have a hierarchy where I'm instructed to sit next to a group leader at the clinic that I know is gay and or that I suspect is gay and have lunch next to him and risk catching the gayness. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that can be harmful because we're using people as props, which we are recommending against doing that, especially when it comes to marginalized identities. So not tokenizing the gay therapists on the unit and having all the people with intrusive thoughts about being gay sit next to them for lunch and suspiciously like scooch closer to them every five minutes, whether or not the therapist knows that's what's going on. Um, you might also have things on your hierarchy to your point about being fair of being a homophobe of saying um, homophobic slurs um, and repeating those over and over. Mm -hmm. um, you might have a script where you're describing coming out and the catastrophes that follow that and all of the ways it ruins your life to be gay, um, which I'm sure there are many therapists hearing this now that are thinking, oh my gosh, I've recommended these scripts like those are the things my client was afraid of so we wrote scripts about it yes <laughs> see you raising your hand i've, I've, I've done these things yes yeah As exactly and and so what we are recommending is instead of those types of traditional exposures we take a more um, justice-based approach which would be instead of writing a script where your life ends and you know the world's on fire because you're gay Maybe you write a coming out script and there's a neutral to positive response um, where still you end up being gay, right? Which was the intrusive thought. And it doesn't have that stigmatizing the world burns because there's another gay person on it. Um, instead of saying um, homophobic slurs, you might, as a client, argue against um, or argue the importance of not using slurs in our language so you might be ad having like an advocacy um role play where you're acting as almost a, a queer or a gay advocate um which would probably trigger the fears of having that identity but doing so in a way that's less stigmatizing and harmful mm -hmm. um you might have the person draw a giant rainbow flag and post it on the unit or put it in their bedroom. Mm -hmm. um, maybe have them wear a rainbow pin or bracelet around um, their lives for a week or two and risk people thinking that they're in the community while also making more positive symbols um, in the world. Um, old traditional ERP would have said, you know, act gay, right? And then mm -hmm. we don't want to do that because that's against um, leaning into stereotypes. Um, we might instead watch videos that are created by LGBTQ directors or showing, um, you know, gay or queer relationships in a way that's affirming and sit with whatever feelings come up watching that. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I could go on. <laughs> you yeah, get the idea. Yeah, no, I and, and I love those. I, and one of the things in in the article that you um, that you sent me, it, it talked about the differences between a, a, a neutral and positive exposures. And I think you kind of it, it, it highlighted mm -hmm. one of those, particularly in the in the shift from saying from using and, and leaning into the uh, um, offensive slurs to being more of an advocate. Mm -hmm. That sounds like it'd be more on the positive exposure type of thing. Could you talk about the differences between what a, a neutral exposure would be in this, a, a neutral and maybe some examples of other positive exposures? Sure. So a neutral could be um, you role play coming out to your therapist and they respond with sort of like a nonchalant response. So they're like, okay, how long have you been thinking that for? So like a, a no energy 
you know, there's not a, a pride parade that, that comes in the door. It's just kind of like a neutral response. Um, it's not the therapist saying, oh my gosh, that's so disgusting, right? It's not a negative How response. It's just so more weird. neutral. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a positive would be something like, wow, congratulations. That must have been so brave to do that. A positive one might also be, like I said, posting a rainbow flag or contributing. Maybe you donate to HRC, Human Rights Campaign, um, or other nonprofits that support LGBTQ youth where you're engaging in, in advocacy or pro-social behavior um, at the risk of being associated with a community that you're having intrusive thoughts that you belong in that you're not sure if you do right and through that the client might learn okay it's not actually about being gay or not it's it's it still can feel good to donate to these organizations or make these flags it's really about that core fear of uncertainty and and sometimes it takes having some behavioral experiments to learn that or see that piece. Um, but once we, the client is aware and can uh, recognize the underlying uncertainty fear, then you can really lean into that and do scripts like, I'll never know what my sexual orientation is. I'll always have a seed of doubt that I'm with the wrong partner. Um, I, you may, might have them read Lisa Diamond's literature where it talks about how fluid sexuality can be and write scripts about that sexuality is being is so fluid that there's no guarantee that I'll ever have the same sexual orientation over a 5, 10, 20 year span. And leaning into that uncertainty, leaning into the flexibility, the lack of control, and trying to see, okay, alongside all of that change and uncertainty, what kind of life do I want to live? Is it worth staying with my partner, even if I don't know they're the perfect partner? Some of this that you're talking about also is, is it sounds like it's, it's reflected in the psychoeducation piece that, that your article mentions. Mm -hmm. um, as I was reading that, I again, coming from more of a, a traditional sort of uh, training, some of it can sound very reassurance-giving. I guess, how do you draw mm -hmm. that? How do you, I guess, how would you describe the psychoeducation, excuse me, the psychoeducation components within your recommendations? And at what point is it, it does it cross that line into reassurance giving to a client who's mm -hmm. experiencing this doubt? Yeah, it's a great question. I love the psychoeducation piece because it is such a thin line between reassurance and education. Um, so I think there are some strategies we often lean on where we say things like, I'm only going to say this once, or if it's POCD, we're only going to watch this video on the IOCDF website one time and mm -hmm. that's it. Right. You know? in session one or two. Um, so there are some things that I would say once, um, but a lot of the SO, OCD, um, psychoeducation, I think I, I found it to be things that I could say in a repeated way that didn't sound like reassurance. So that could be things like, um, okay, I'm hearing that you're spending a lot of time worrying about being gay. And you're also saying, you have tons of tons of gay friends and you don't actually have any negative thoughts about being gay. So I wonder if we could dig a little bit deeper. What would it mean if you were gay and try to do some of that downward arrow to help them figure out the underlying uncertainty fear? Um, we might also talk about how 
I mean, doing psychoeducation on the fluidity of sexuality is probably more triggering than reassurance in most cases. So mm-hmm. I think using that, um, leaning on that research maybe as an exposure or if the person is willing to go into that could be educational and not reassurance. Um, but I don't know. I don't myself getting stuck in a lot of reassurance traps because what I'm really saying as a therapist is you can't know you can never know there's no like there's no uh, computer I can hook you up to to check your sexual orientation Mm -hmm. and the more you're engaging in the questions and the doubt and trying to figure out the answer the more it's becoming about something that it it wasn't before right so if you're spending all of your time thinking about am i gay or not while you still love your cisgender other um opposite gender partner then your life is becoming about something that it wasn't before so ocd is forcing or causing you or motivating you to spend a lot of your time creating a different life then you would be living otherwise. So what if we were to try to stop engaging in the question answer and the investigation and just see what happens from there? It's going to be torturous because that's going to mean sleeping with your husband and not knowing if he's the right partner or if you really should be trying to hook up with women to figure out if you're more attracted to them. Um, Which never works. Never works. Yeah. Which never works. And obviously, I mean, even if, the person did engage in some um, some ritual ritualized sex then and they're sleeping with new people for the first time compared to their partner of 30 years there's going to be a higher level of excitement um, regardless of sexual orientation potentially which could be even more confusing so um, I really focus on reducing rituals and um, mental rituals physical rituals and um, trying to help them see that the identity confusion is coming from trying to answer the question Mm. not necessarily an internally driven identity issue do you know what i mean yeah yeah and yeah the the the, i've I've, and i've tried to explain this to my clients as well it's like the, the 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 solution OCD suggests to get out of this conundrum is by solving the question that it's giving you. But instead, the solution right. is actually the tolerance of the presence of that question being there. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And that, it, it, it's funny, I'm, I'm, here, I, I'm hearing someone listening to this somewhere else is saying, yes, but, I, but you're right. Uh, Lauren, yes, I agree with you. I didn't have this thought before and I was happy and married and all of this. But then I have this question. Isn't it important for me to evaluate that question? Shouldn't I, shouldn't I look into that? Isn't it fair to my partner that they should be with the person that, that they should truly be with or would be a good fit for or et cetera, et cetera? How do you address someone's yeah. doubt where they're now saying it's 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 a valid question? Shouldn't we know? I would lean on the the two questions that Carol Hevia at the OCDI taught me, which was, "Do you have OCD? Yes or no? Yes. Maybe. Is this something oh, your OCD focuses on? Yes. Okay, then we're not answering it. And if they're like, 
if you know you just said maybe right maybe this is the first time someone's coming to therapy and this is the first intrusive thought they've had or they're not convinced it's OCD all right well let's go through the diagnostic criteria then are you engaging in repeated behaviors and I would go through that list with folks to see does this sound like OCD because Again, I can't hook you up to a computer and tell you this is a question from OCD. I'm pretty sure it is. Mm-hmm. Some of the data um, to get a good idea. And if they're still not convinced, I'll say, all right, are you willing to give it three months? Can we put it in your calendar that on January 16th, you're allowed to start having sex with people, asking the question, following it up, but you're going to give me three months or however much time you're willing, maybe it's one month to start, um, of really, really trying to resist the rituals and just see what happens. Because the more we try to engage in the back and forth, sometimes the more room there is for OCD to say it's different for me. It's different in this situation. Um, so sometimes I just set a date, literally have them open their calendar app. What time is it going to be a day, noon? Okay, that's the day. And between now and then we're committing to this, uh, treating it like it's OCD, whether it is or isn't. And again, what another great opportunity to lean into uncertainty there. Me as a therapist, not knowing for certain if this is your OCD, but we're going to try this out if you're willing. Right. And, and then it's, it, it's, I, I, I can imagine then part of that is, is when they get caught back up in their compulsions and, and going through their reassurances, mm-hmm. it's like, well, all right, does the, does then the clock reset then? Because you, you haven't been giving it the old college try in, in, in yeah. resisting the yeah. compulsions. Yeah. It depends. If they, give me, if they give me three months at first, then I might give them a week or two of backsliding and then stick to the January 16th. But <laughs> you're, you're, if it was a, if it was a two week window, then I might start it over. You're very generous. Very generous. <laughs> and um, to the point about psychoeducation, though, I, I also agree. I think that at the very beginning of treatment, there ought to be some, some elements of, of things that are reassuring, the things that are grounding in truth. They can sound like reassurances, but they are, and they can become mm-hmm. reassurances. It's, it seems, seems cruel to, you know, on, on day one when someone comes in, to give them an Olympic level, you know, graduation level exposure. Right. And say, oh my gosh, right. Dr. Wadsworth, I, I think that I'm gay, free to go. You probably are. There are going to be some changes in your life. Good luck. That just mm-hmm. seems unnecessarily cruel. Whereas we can kind of start out with, and I like that clinical approach of saying, you know, let's let's look at is this actually does this follow OCD versus is this not something like that? And to that to that point, your 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 article um, had had an element of kind of drawing the differences or citing some differences between what SOOCD rumination looks like versus SO rumination looks like. Can you draw the different, or can you talk about some of those differences? Since I know, I, I yeah. Do you mean like between having an identity shift and having? An, an OCD obsession? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think this is more of um, Dr. Pinciotti's specialty, but I can talk a little bit about that um, okay. from my perspective. Okay. Um, so, so thinking about um, an identity shift, we probably notice um, more feelings of excitement, more um, longer term 
curiosities about attraction to a certain gender or gender presentation. Um, we might have worries about what's going to happen when I come out. Um, but it feels more controllable and there's more of an excitement factor. There's more of a grounded factor. Whereas with SOOCD, it's more, um, it feels more panicky. Sometimes I'll just act, ask people, is the way you're describing this, like the way you've described other intrusive thoughts to me? Mm. Um, because it's, it's rapid onset. There's a sense of urgency. There's that like wide eyed, like, Blah, 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 blah. this is everything I've been experiencing, right? right? And that's not typically how people come out. Typically, when people come out, it's a lot more shy. There's a lot more like trying to gauge if the therapist is like, okay with this or not. Um, there's more like problem solving, how am I going to navigate this? It's a slower process, um, a longer process versus this like sudden, rapid, intense, urgent um, I've got profile to, I've that OCD tends to have. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. No, that, that can be, uh, I'm sure you've seen this a thousand times is that that's, that's some of the primary or one of the concerns that folks have when they come into treatment. Well, you know, isn't this something it, 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 I, I'm feeling all these feelings. I'm feeling all this worry about this. Isn't this indicative of someone who is coming out and yeah mm -hmm. and i feel like that can that can be part of that psychoeducation process is looking at what a kind of traditional or typical process would look like mm -hmm. for someone uh, having that identity shift versus someone who's going through an ocd process i love that question of is this the way you've responded to other obsessions in the past well if it looks mm -hmm. like a duck and sounds like a duck let's you know not treat it like a platypus Exactly. Yeah. Another um, difference that comes to mind is that if someone's experiencing a shift in their identity, whether it's from gay to straight or straight to gay or queer, whatever, mm -hmm. there's probably more of like um, primary emotions of sadness and shame mm -hmm. about these changes or what the consequences might be, where when I hear sexual orientation OCD, the primary emotion is always anxiety. Mm -hmm. And that like fast rush, that like intensity, that's just so different. It's like we've talked about it, me and my colleagues. It just like feels different, you know, mm -hmm. like when you're in the room, you just know as a therapist. And sometimes it's really hard to explain mm -hmm. the knowing, uh, but it just feels different. There's like, and it, this could be so triggering for someone with OCD about sexual orientation to hear, but from a therapist perspective, there's a groundedness and like uh, a weight to an identity shift. Whereas OCD tends to be flighty and fast and just different in the room. Yeah, yeah, it can have a it, it, it can have a sense of urgency and this this right mm -hmm. now or else feeling. That's a, at least that that's how I describe it. That's how I experience it. It's yeah. I've got to know this or or else everything is on the line. That's mm -hmm. typically very few things are on the line in in life. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I think we're in. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I think it would be important to also talk about other um identities and how our our exposures 
need to change. Um, this is a paper that we're working on right now, um, Dr. Pinciati and I, mm -hmm. but happy to sit in the SL world a little bit longer if no, you'd like. I, I'd love to transition over. I yeah. So when um, when we did our presentation, which I think you were you said you're at at the conference this year, um, it just sparked. So when we were preparing for it, it just was so hard not to think about how this applies to so many different types of OCD yeah. and um, how there's so much we need to change about our approach. Um, and it, I think all of this is one of your earlier questions was why, why is this changing? And I think part of that we have more diversity in the field, which is really great. So we have more trainees raising their hand and saying, I don't know, it doesn't feel great to have patients next to me and saying like they might catch my gayness, you know, and having people empowered enough to say that, to speak up in these settings. Um, Another example that is coming up a lot that we're talking a lot about is fears about being a racist or having race-related themed OCD. Right. And again, typical exposure, traditional exposure would be to say racial slurs mm -hmm. over and over and over for an hour, right? On the unit or out loud or mm -hmm. wherever, loop tape. And um, I've had some colleagues say, you know, as a black clinician, it is extremely violent to hear people recommending that mm -hmm. it's hard to hear the n-word you know at my rounds it's hard to imagine that my white colleagues are telling their patients to say the n-word mm -hmm. um and to repeat it um and something dr pinciati said is you know we don't want people to we don't actually want people to get more comfortable saying racial slurs mm -hmm. what what actually is happening is that the person is afraid they're going to sound racist, right? Or say something racist or slip up and, and use a, a racial slur. Mm -hmm. But it's not that they the goal isn't to get better at that. The goal is actually to learn how to talk about things like race and identity and risk saying the wrong thing mm -hmm. and to keep going and act in line with your values, right? So similarly, we're trying to shift our understanding of what the core fear is. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It 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 does. It does, and I I, I can imagine it, I can imagine potentially some if potentially some criticism about that approach might be, you know, if we're working with someone with harm OCD, you know, we might have them holding a knife. Do we want people mm -hmm. being more comfortable holding knives? Yeah, I mean, we do because they need to cook, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like holding them up to our our throats. I mean, that's something that I do a lot with patients that have harm OCD. Um, I think, yep, you've got a big knife right there. Super I think the difference is, is that we're not targeting a marginalized aspect of someone's identity. Mm -hmm. So if you're a white therapist and you have a white client who's repeating racial slurs mm -hmm. in your office, mm -hmm. in private with a noise outside, is it hurting anyone? Probably not. Mm hmm a lot of people say that's really important for thought action diffusion. Mm -hmm. um, but if we want to have a field where black therapists feel comfortable, mm -hmm. then can our manuals say that the go-to is to say the N-word over and over? What is that black therapist supposed to do? Are they supposed to decide if they want to hear their white client use racial slurs in their office with them over and over for an hour? Mm -hmm. Right? Do we 
would we use these same exposures if the person that's targeted targeted it was in the room and usually the answer is no Mm -hmm. usually we wouldn't say hi i'm sitting next to you because you're gay and i'm scared i'm gonna catch it right Mm -hmm. it's usually these like secret exposures you're doing that are tokenizing people or targeting their identities and i would argue that if we want to have a field where any therapist can be and belong we have to do exposures that would work for everyone Mm. and not hurt people Mm-hmm. So for me, having a client hold a knife to my throat, yeah, it's making maybe making them more comfortable doing that, but I'm not feeling like personally targeted or like a highest aspect of my identity is being um, furthered or underscored or just um, hurt by the, the client, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that that can certainly be thought-provoking for a lot of clinicians to reconsider what it, what their treatment process will look like. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I know you have a heart out here in a few minutes, so I want to be respectful of that. But um, what are some what are some things some clinicians can start to think about uh, or start to do um, to start making some some changes or start um, reconsidering their approach to some of these these treatment methods. Yeah, well, we are hopefully going to get that other paper out, which have would have a whole table of all the different identities and all the different exposures, okay. similar to the paper you were referencing earlier, um, but expanded out from SOOCD. But in the meantime, I really do like that question of, would I do this exposure if the time was in the room? Mm-hmm. Would I this exposure on the stage of a pride parade event? Mm-hmm. You know, or would I worry that this might be offensive? Um, would I do this with a gay person in the room? Would I do this with a black person in the room? And then just notice, do you have that gut feeling that we normally have if something isn't quite right? Mm-hmm. Um, would I like stand on a stage full of people with all different identities and say, this is how we do this thing? Or would you have a, like a little doubt, a seed of doubt there? Um, I'd also think back to your point of negative and pot or neutral and positive. Like, mm-hmm. does this exposure um, further a stereotype or add more slurs into the air? Or like, um, does it, it instead could I switch it to be more affirming or positive? And could that also trigger anxiety? Like, do I need to do the worst thing ever, or is there something that's good enough? That's um, maybe more value driven. Yeah, and I think that man, I'm, that that's that goes back to that that never ending OCD therapist argument of should we be pushing more towards function in one's everyday life or doing those right. extreme out there, um, you know, a, a Olympic level exposures and right the the what is it the, the eating M and M's off the toilet seat examples, right? Right. Is that yep. is is that what we're doing on a regular day basis, or is it just using the bathroom like a regular old person? Right, right, right. So I guess yeah, getting back to function. is it? Yeah, is it saying is your fear of sounding like a racist going to be targeted by saying a racial slur, mm-hmm. or is are we going to get more at the core by having you talk about race in a with a new person that you don't know and you're not sure how they're going to perceive you or what they're going to walk away thinking about you mm-hmm. to me that would be way more anxiety provoking um and and i'll feel value driven in a way that i think it just 
it's more believable to clients too, right? Just like the toilet bowl, licking the toilet bowl, it's hard to convince a client, even if you use the pendulum analogy, that like this is gonna help, right? Or that they need to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but could they could they make their grandma's cookie recipe and have the dough fall on the floor in the bathroom and then keep making it and serve it to their friends and eat it themselves? Like, could that be a value-driven contamination exposure that just adds a little more meaning and um, just a thought, like adding that positive piece. It yeah, still yeah. very triggering. Yeah, still very triggering, but but also you know put, moves the I guess mo- moves the ball down the field. I can't believe I'm using a sports analogy, but um, yeah, I think it's that think about how do you how do you be functional and also still being respectful with uh, with your exposures. Right. Yeah, great questions about you know if that person was in the room, is that something that I would still do or would I do something different? I think that's a great place for a lot of us to start. Um, is there anything else at the tail end of this that you'd want to add um, to someone out there who may who may need to hear it? Yeah, I think um, for for clients out there, I think this conversation again could be pretty triggering and um, leave you feeling less certain. And just reminding that that's not a bad thing. That you know, feeling uncertainty means you're going in the right direction mm-hmm. and thinking, how can I ride that wild buck into the sunset? (laughs) Like, how could that be a beautiful thing that I feel way more confused at the end of this podcast than I did in the beginning? And how could that actually be going towards the place I want to go? Like being comfortable with that and moving on with my day anyways, versus sitting down and writing a list about for and against evidence. Um, And for therapists, I think just, I would encourage folks thinking about their own identities they're bringing into the room. You know, what would be uncomfortable for someone to do in front of me based on my past experiences? And that can help us build empathy and give us good sense about, you know, how might these exposures feel to others? So being aware of your own identities, assessing client identities is something we don't do enough of and making that an active part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, I love it. Well, thank you so much for all of your all of your work and um, all the efforts that uh, you and your team have been doing to try to get this information out there. Um, is there if, if people have questions about the work and would like to get uh, a, a little bit more information, is there a place they can go to get access to this? Yeah, so I'm always happy to send people the articles. Um, you can look me up. I think my website is laurenwadsworth.com. Pretty easy to find. Um, and you can just contact me through there and I can send you the papers as they come out um, and we can keep the conversation going. Wonderful. Well, um, if you could stay on just for just a minute, but uh, I'll let you go here uh, for the podcast. But uh, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for sharing the platform again. It's really appreciated and important. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through that episode. Everybody, if you have questions for Dr. Lauren Wadsworth um, that you would like um, answered in a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. You can send me that question uh, when you click on the submit a question link there. And um, uh, I asked her and she'd be more than happy to come on a future episode to uh, answer any questions uh, related to her work or um, information that came out from um, our uh, discussion today. So uh, again, if you have questions, 
go over to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a question there. You can also send me a question over at Instagram. Everybody, if you like the podcast, uh, it would mean a great deal to me. It's for you to uh, to write a review, give it uh, five stars where on whatever platform you happen to listen to. It uh, it, it helps other people to find the podcast by shooting shooting it up in the uh, in the ratings. So um, everybody, if you have uh, if you need a little bit of help in your recovery, please remember that the Fearcast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help, go over to Fearcast Podcast and you can click on the Find Help link, and there's going to be some links and information up there for you. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye. Thank you.